0: and welcome back to the Hall Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Hall, and thank you so much for taking the time to drop by and talk all things video games with us. Uh, If you haven't been aware, we are on Apple Podcasts, and you probably are listening here, if not on Spotify or through another source, but if you could drop by and leave us a review, A five-star review would be incredibly helpful to letting everybody see what's going on here, get more listeners in. And as we are a part of the Goon Studios Network, along with the Nonsensical Nodcast podcast, led by my friends Nate and Sam, uh, we are giving away a $20 gift card to the store of your choice if you leave a review and let us know on one of our socials or in the Discord. Now, obviously, we're not trying to buy your review, and if you don't like the show, that's okay. You won't hurt my feelings. I still love you all. But if you think that this is quality content that you want others to hear, drop by, leave a review, and find one of us on social media and let us know. Uh, The deadline for that is coming up within the next couple weeks in December 2020. So get that in before Christmas and make sure your name is in for that draw. Now, uh, our episode today, we're going to jump straight into it because I want to spend the next few minutes talking about an issue that is really important to me, and it's also something that if you don't struggle with anything in gaming or in your day-to-day life, I don't think you think about this often, and this is accessibility in gaming, Uh If you have been paying attention to what's going on here on the Hall Gaming Podcast or on my Twitch channel on Xenic68, uh, I've been excited to co-stream the Game Awards, which happened a couple days ago on Thursday, December 10th. It was a blast. You had musical performances. Eddie Vedder played his Pearl Jam song that was featured in The Last of Us. Uh, The London Philharmonic Orchestra was there. Uh, Persona 5 soundtrack got a feature. It was great. And then there were the presenters. Kanye was uh, was there. Not Kanye. Kanye Reese, which is the better. K. Okay? Uh, Christopher Nolan, Tom Holland, Gal Gadot, Brie Larson, just people everywhere. Nolan North. It was an awesome time. The awards were flying out. Uh, the Last of Us took Game of the Year and basically every other category it was nominated in. Hades got a couple nods. Among Us was uh, lifted up a bit. And there were a lot of new, more recent categories that got featured. Things like esports teams and streamer content creator of the year. Things like that. However, the category that most caught my attention was accessibility and gaming. Uh, They had five nominees. Uh, Innovation and accessibility was the category. And from the Game Awards website, it was meant to recognize software and or hardware that is pushing the medium forward by adding features, technology, and content to help games be played and enjoyed by an even wider audience. And I think this is something that is absolutely huge and is something that hasn't gotten the attention it deserved until maybe the last two or three years. And if you're like me, you're an able-bodied gamer, I don't have any notable disabilities that would affect the way I play or take in content anything like that and so I get a game I pop it in and I play it and I don't give a second thought to anything except whether the subtitles are helpful or annoying or you know if it's too loud that's it I just play the game and that is not the reality for so many people physical disabilities uh Mental disabilities, ones that deal with your eyesight or your hearing, there are so many things that we take for granted that people struggle with. And just because somebody struggles doesn't mean they don't want to play a game. It just means that it's that much harder for them to take in what we take for granted. Uh, and so there were five games nominated for this. The Last of Us Part Two won, but uh, Watch Dogs Legion and Assassin's Creed Valhalla were up for it as well. Ubisoft, uh, getting their name in there. Uh, Grounded, the new game on Xbox that has you shrink down to the size of an ant and fight them. And then HyperDot, which is about the only one I don't know. So... These games were all nominated for their innovation and accessibility. And I think it was incredible. The Last of Us Part Two knocked it out of the park the most. I started up this game when it came out. And immediately before you get to the main menu or anything like that, you set the brightness like you do for a lot of games. And then you get hit with so many accessibility options. In the majority of us. Might just kind of flip past that and not think much of it. But if you look closer, just how important it is. Like I pulled up the Last of Us website right now. And just listen to this. They have vision accessibilities to where you can have text-to-speech. You can choose the contrast of your display, change the size of your HUD. You can turn on a lock-on aim, uh, navigation and traversal assistance, and enhanced listening mode. You can skip puzzles if you need to. You can make very precise adjustments to the combat because if you are someone who is legally blind or has low vision, this can help you play the game. Because remember, not everyone who is blind, that doesn't mean they can't see at all. And they try their best to make this game as accessible to anyone as possible. Or hearing, people who are deaf or hard of hearing awareness indicators it lets you know what sounds you're hearing in what direction it is uh, dodge prompts it helps them be able to hit that a bit more easily if they can't hear the audio cue subtitles on story and combat you can change the names uh, show the names of who's speaking you can give the direction that that person is speaking and it points to them combat it'll tur- or the guitar it'll vibrate through the controller because if they can't hear it, it gives them another way To encounter that content. Oh there's more. Motor accessibility. There's alternate controls. You can remap just about anything. Change the orientation of pretty much everything. Rope ladder movement. Guitar strumming input. Boat controls. Melee through aiming. Whether you want to hold the button or press it. To get something done. If you scroll through. There is so, so, so many options. You can change literally everything about this game. And... It's not just the fact that I'm amazed by what they did. Like, they even have a colorblind mode for their HUD. But it's the fact that things like this aren't standard. It's the exception. It's something that doesn't get the attention it needs to in our hobby. Uh, Valhalla does the same thing. It's not to the same extent, but it has control remapping. You can have alternatives for having them smash buttons. It'll pop up the sounds that you're hearing and which direction they're coming from. Uh, You can change it to where screen effects don't happen, or you can guarantee that an assassination will go through uh, because some people aren't able to hit the button with quite that amount of precision, and it's not their fault. It's not that they're a bad gamer or that it's a kid's game or whatever. It's something that they literally can't do. And I think the issue is that the industry as a whole has not, paid attention to the needs of these gamers in the way that it should and look at this they're not compromising the game itself in any way they are just taking the game they have and adding extra options so that it can be enjoyed by as wide of an audience as possible and like i'm that doesn't mean that every game has to be you know easy mode you can't do anything like we're not getting rid of dark souls We're just taking the game and making it possible for more people to freaking enjoy the game. And we just aren't talking about this. Uh, But thankfully, there are groups within gaming that are finally stepping up and bringing awareness to this. And the companies themselves are finally starting to. Uh, One of the things I saw a few years ago that was just genius to me is the Xbox Adaptive Controller. Microsoft was one of the first game console creators that hopped on this, and they made an official controller, and it looks like the weirdest thing when you see it. It looks like this big keyboard-sized pad, and it has two black matte circles on it, a giant directional pad, and then kind of your key buttons. And what it does is it allows you to map out the triggers and the buttons and the clicks and everything as much as you want to. And it has this kind of base pad to let you uh, be able to work with. And then you can attach whatever other devices you want to it. So for the A button, for example, you could have a giant big green button that you hit. And it allows people who don't have the same amount of motor function to still play games through their own rig. If you have cerebral palsy or something else that hurts your functionality, hurts the way that you could perform, you can still game. And one of the things I want to say right off the bat, I guess this is a little bit into it. It isn't right off the bat, but I'm not the best person to be talking about this. Because I don't understand it in an experiential way. I don't have somebody in my life who struggles in this way. And I want to say right now, if I've accidentally worded any of this in a way that comes off as offensive or seems disrespectful, I apologize right now. Because that is not my intent in the slightest. It just means that that's a way that I need to learn and educate myself to step up a bit more. What it does mean is that if we aren't talking about this on a wide level, I want to at least push this in the right direction. I want to raise awareness to where when we come across these accessibility options, it's not, uh, here's another screen we need to go through. Or just, uh, I, I was in one of my favorite streamers chats about three weeks ago. We were playing through, he was playing Valhalla, an incredible game, by the way, if you haven't played it. And he had turned on uh, where you could see what direction the audio was coming through. So, say, wealth tinkling, and point to the, t- to the right. Or, you know, guard yells, and it would point behind you. And that way, uh, even if your hearing isn't the best, you know what's going on and what direction from where you're looking that's coming. Somebody hopped on in the chat and said, well, that's stupid. Blind people don't play video games. And I'm just like, dude why would you say that it's not just hurtful and disrespectful but like i said earlier blind doesn't mean i can't see anything there's different levels of blind there's people who can see a little bit but it's much much harder there's people who want to play but can't really hear the way that a completely unaffected person would be able to and these types of innovations for accessibility opens up this hobby that we love to so, so many people. So Xbox has done that. Sony, even with their PlayStation 5, they've added in a few features as well. For example, uh, you can input text via voice dictation. So instead of using the virtual keyboard, which let's be honest, sucks and has since the PS3, you can speak and it'll input the text that way. There's extra text-to-speech options. It'll take a typed text message and speak them aloud to your party members to to assist people who are deaf or hard of hearing. And like it, some games will support color correction adjustment. You can customize common settings before the game even starts. Haptic feedback on the PS5, if that's something that's not helpful, you can reduce or disable it completely. You can make it to where the triggers aren't pushing back up against you as you play through Astro's Playroom or uh, uh, Demon Souls. So many things. And we're finally getting to the point where developers aren't tacking this on as an afterthought, but they're going, okay, this needs to be a core part of our gameplay. And there is actually a charity that I want to give a shout out to right now that is doing everything they can to help people. And it's called the Able Gamers Charity. If you don't know who these guys are, their whole goal is that everyone can play games. So, for people with disabilities, this is what it says on their website, ablegamers.org. You click on it. One of the first things you see is Able Gamers enables fun. We give people with disabilities custom gaming setups, including modified controllers, special assistive technology, like devices that let you play with your eyes so they can have fun with their friends and family. How cool is that? Their their purpose is to be able to let everybody play games. Everybody. And they provide the equipment needed to do that. Like, you can't just walk into Walmart or GameStop or Best Buy and buy most of this stuff outside of that Xbox controller that I mentioned. Like, it takes serious work to put this sort of thing together. And they're going, yeah, you know what? That's what we feel like we're supposed to do. We're going to help people. And, you know, you might go, oh, dude, there are so much more important things you could donate to. And I would go, really? Because I would say any group that is helping people is worth your time. Now, yes, there are causes that as a whole are incredibly important. Rescuing children from sex trafficking, that's a huge issue. Donating to your local animal shelter to keep dogs out of mills, that's a huge issue. Mental health awareness, absolutely. But I don't think any group that is helping people should be disparaged because it's not the most important issue of the day. Because you know why this group exists? Because other people are overlooking this. And they are able to provide a service that has gone mostly unnoticed by everyone. It's just insane. And I am so glad, so glad that people are finally stepping up to help everybody have the same type of access. Like, think about this. Like, how long ago was it that the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed? You know what? I'm going to make sure I tell you. I'm going to type it in. You'll probably hear in the background exactly now. When? Was ADA asked. And 1990, 1990, this year was 30 years since that went into effect. That is freaking insane. It shouldn't have been 30 years, it should have been so much longer than that. Just that people with disabilities can have equal access and opportunities, that there will be ways for them to get into buildings, that they can have employment 30 years since that was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. So when we get to the point that accessibility and gaming is finally being able to be considered, it's because we're just now getting to the other stuff. So why do I say all of this? It's because it's something we need to be aware of. It needs to be more than just a menu that we quickly click through because we don't need it. Or something that's like, huh, that's really neat. We need to celebrate the fact that everybody is having the chance to participate in this, to play, to enjoy it. Because that just shows how many steps we have taken towards accessibility for all people. And it also shows us just how much farther we need to go. So yes, while we need to absolutely praise Naughty Dog for games like The Last of Us that went above and beyond to create that experience, we need to also push towards a day where that's not above and beyond. That's just what happens in games. And if you don't need those options, thank God for your health. And just don't click it. It's that easy. If you don't need it, don't turn it on. But the fact that that option is there might not make much of a difference to someone like me, but it makes a world of difference to someone who couldn't play the game without it. And I don't call that cheating. I don't call that watering down the game. I call that an incredible opportunity for everyone to come together and be able to enjoy a hobby like this together. Because come on, this is the least we can do. It's literally the least we can do, enabling everyone who possibly can to play a dang video game. Like how much more simple does it get, really? So celebrate accessibility in gaming. That is the point. That's my soapbox for today. I think it's incredible that we're finally getting to the point where this is a thing. And I think it's terrible that it's taken us so long to get there. All right, so with that out of the way, we're not done yet, but that was the big idea for today. A few more things. Uh, First off, I have been playing through Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and it is an absolute blast. Uh, I played through Assassin's Creed since the very first one, way, way back when it came out on the Xbox 360, and you get through Assassin's Creed 1, 2... Uh, then you get through two part two, two part three, which is uh, Revelations and Brotherhood. And then Assassin's Creed three came out, Assassin's Creed four. Why am I saying this? Because they kept popping them out almost yearly after that. And the quality kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, they're just like, we need to take a break. Because the games, while there is so much lore that you practically need a master's degree to sort through it all, the games weren't as fun. They were just pumping them out so another Assassin's Creed could hit the shelf. It was like Call of Duty before they started rotating studios so at least they could put some effort into the games before they released them. No disc to Call of Duty fans. But what happened? Over the last few years, we had three mainline Assassin's Creed games come out. I actually picked up Origins today. This was the first one of those. I completely missed out on it. And let's see. It came out in 2017. So 2017, 18, 19, and 20. Four years, three games. And they spread that out a little bit amongst themselves at Ubisoft. So they actually started taking the time to produce the game that they wanted to have. And people enjoyed it. What do you know? It's getting nominated at the Game Awards because they actually cared about the content they were creating. Imagine that. So I'm playing through Valhalla right now uh it is an insane game the world just keeps getting more and more and more open and something that i noticed in this game is the way that they handle side quests they don't really pop up in your quest log and your first thought is going to be okay why does that matter really why does that matter because i love open world games in fact open world gaming is perhaps the genre I love the most, action-adventure. Uh, either give me something that's like a platformer shooters type thing, like Ratchet & Clank or Uncharted or The Last of Us or anything like that, or give me an open-world, massive game. I'm talking Skyrim. I'm talking Valhalla. I'm talking, yes, Grand Theft Auto technically counts. Uh, Fallout. These games that are just freaking huge. But what happens... You have your main storyline that you go through, and then you have the side quests. And they range from amazing to crap. And what happens? You go around the world, and they slowly start getting added into your quest log. By the time I finished freaking Skyrim, my quest log was so packed through, I couldn't remember who gave me what, what was going on, or anything. It was just time to grind for the XP, let's help out this random lady who... I don't know, Her kid was stolen, or a husband was murdered, or they have a torture chamber under the house. I don't know. And those were the good ones. The ones that aren't so good is the fetch quests. Go shoot six wolves before, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the type of things I'm talking about. So why am I bringing all this up? It's because Ubisoft used to be one of the worst offenders on this out of anybody. They had such massive worlds but they just tried to cram so much stuff in it that it didn't feel empty. And once you started ranging, getting a little bit outside of the lines in the main story or one or two highlighted side quests starts getting real sad, real fast, but something started changing. They started taking their time to make the games. origins was one of the first games to kind of address this, but you still had, you know, side quest after side quest odyssey. I love that game. So good. The ancient Greek world, The DLC was incredible too, but when I finished that game, after like 80 hours in it, I still had a massive list of side quests to follow. And especially like the Lost Tales of Greece or something like that, they added in new quests via DLC for free. Which is great if you've played through everything in the game, and then you have a new quest pop in every now and again. It's not great if you come to it a year after the game launch and you suddenly have a quest log the size of the Great Wall. It just doesn't work. So Valhalla comes along, and I have, at the max, maybe six to eight quests in my log at any one time. At one time. And all but one or two of those are just persistent throughout the game quests that happen at my home village of Ravens and Forth. Like, get the village to level six. Bring medallions to the Hidden Ones location. Like, stuff like that. Like, stuff that it's going to take you the whole game to do this. And then you'll have one or two main arcs that you're working on at a time that really matter to the story, and those will pop up. And if you got the DLC mission for pre-ordering the game or getting the Ultimate Edition, that'll pop into. But that's it. Do you know how the side quests, other than that, are in the game? You just find them. There's a little blue dot on the map. You come up to it. It's a mystery of some sort. And sometimes it's not even an actual side quest. You get to Stonehenge and it's like figure out the puzzle. Or it's like find this relic hidden in this cave that actually serves a purpose. It's pretty cool. Or I am a Viking who has outlived the purpose of my life. Fight me and give me the death I deserve. Like cool stuff. But then the other ones like that, the other random crap that you would come across in the game, it's fun in this game because it doesn't take up a spot in your quest log, and it doesn't hold your hand to walk you through it. Uh, one of the most fun side quests like this I found, in a very small spoiler alert, if you want to know absolutely nothing about Valhalla. So... uh About a third of the way into the game, you make it to Ravensthorpe in England, which is your main kind of hub now. And you keep coming back every time you go in and out to make alliances with other uh, clans and kingdoms around you. Well, one time I walk back and there's a side quest that has popped up there. And it's this kid standing in the hall, the main hall. And he goes, "Uh, Eivor, Eivor, you got to come quick. Uh, The kids are in trouble. You got to help. And it's like, okay, And the kid runs off. You can follow him. You don't have to. It doesn't pop up to tell you follow the kid. It doesn't show up in your menu. It just happens. And if you follow him, you get over. Turns out they're pulling your leg the whole time. There's a wolf, a wandering wolfie that is stuck under a house. And they're like, would you please help it? And you go in, you get it out. Wolf thankfully doesn't, you know, kill you. Uh, You start walking the kids back home while giving them a stern lecture on why they shouldn't just try to tame wild animals one of the wild animals you were just talking about pop up to rip the kids a new one. And guess who comes back out of nowhere? Wolfie. Wolf comes over. You wreck the bad wolves with this good wolf. Everybody gets a new wolf friend. The kids have learned a horrible lesson that you should meet every wild animal with open arms. And you get a new skill allowing you to summon this wolf into battle whenever the heck you want. It didn't pop in my quest log. It just had one little symbol on the map, and I paid attention to environmental clues to keep it going. If I didn't do it, it would probably still be there when I came back with its little symbol allowing me to start again. But it just popped up naturally in the world. It made the world feel lived in. Especially a world that's like a 9th century Viking England where, you know, there's not exactly much going on outside of the random village that you find or the monastery. It made this huge world feel real and lived in, like genuine, authentic side events were going on. You just stumble onto these. You have an idea based off of where they might be, but nothing is compelling you to go do it. You get some extra skill points for completing it. But you can still beat the game without it. I love this. I love this because it's making a game feel real and lived in. And I don't have a list that is so freaking massive that I'm like, I'm never going to complete this. What's the point? It's, I know these are here if I want to come to them, but half the time I just stumble across it and it adds to my game. It's the type of thing that makes me want to avoid fast traveling. If you've played an Assassin's Creed game, you know what the fast travel system is. You climb up on a tower, the birds fly around you, you freaking parkour off a cliff into some hay, and there you are. And normally that's how you get around the world, which one of these points gets me closest to my, uh, to my home. But now... I want to take the road. I want to go through the field because there might be something genuinely interesting that I encounter that the game's not like, you have to go do this or it will live forever in your menu and cause great amounts of anxiety for those of us who want to check off everything. So all of that to say is that I want more games like this. I want games that feel freaking lived in. Like the these people, NPCs in the game, They aren't just there. Their whole life isn't just standing there going, oh, good sir, would you fetch me these five herbs? You come across, like, I'll give you one more example because I'm playing Valhalla right now off stream and it is a blast. I came, I'm in one of the later areas of the game. I came across uh, a tavern in the middle of nowhere, kind of close to a monastery, ironically. Uh, So there are a group of Danes, much like myself, sitting there having a drink, and there is a Saxon, an Englishman, sitting there serving out the ale and just kind of sitting there with a bard with a lyre playing uh, drinking songs. And everybody is having a blast. The game doesn't tell you to do anything. It's just like, hey, have a drink, have a drinking contest with me. And you can just walk on if you want. I went over, I talked to the dudes, like, you know what, I'll take you on. I'm pretty good at these right now. It's kind of like a rhythmic button mashing mini game. So I start doing it. We get one horn of ale into this thing. It's going well. And then the screen turns white and everybody starts freaking dropping dead out of nowhere. Turns out this random character who only pops up at this point in the game, Saxons, uh, I mean, Danes killed his wife. And he's like, I'm going to get them back. For her life, I will take 100 Dane lives. And so it's just been going around and finding different ways to lure in uh, the foreigners and poison them and kill them. Uh, I am a big, strong Viking. So I was able to fight through the poison and kill this murderer who actually had a really good reason to be pissed. And even you can find in the house notes where this guy went, rents out the bar from the bar owner and just kind of sends him on his way. And the bar owner doesn't have a clue what this guy's doing. He's just like, Hey, to my, uh, You know, my servant, if you come and this guy's here, his spare key's over here. I just found that. I wasn't expecting it. It's not relevant to the story in any way, but it adds so much life to the game. So, I plead with game developers who are probably never going to listen to this podcast. Do more stuff like this. If you are going to pack your game full of stuff you can do on the side... To make this massive world that you're creating feel livable. Then at least do it in a way that's not just there to fluff it out. To say we created an 80 hour epic adventure. But people only really care about playing 15 of it. That's no fun. You know what is fun? Final Fantasy 7 remake. Where the story is roughly pretty linear. You get It's not an open world. But there are side quests in there if you want to do it while you're in the right spot and it makes sense in the context of where you are. I don't need to be able to explore all of Midgar in a massive open world. I'm kind of locked into a city or a town or a building at a time and I have a blast with it because I'm experiencing what I'm supposed to experience at that time. There's such a thing where you can have too big of a game If you haven't crafted your story, your missions, your experience to be able to facilitate that kind of a world. Fallout 76 is a massive game with nothing to do in it. And they also botched the launch so hard that nobody wants to touch it with a stick anymore. And and a massively multiplayer online game that is massive, but not really multiplayer and barely was an online game when it launched. Nobody really wants that. Valhalla, people love Valhalla because it does the open world genre well. Final Fantasy gets the nods because it knew what it was trying to accomplish and finally crafted it to go with it. Last of Us Part 2, it has some exploration parts in it, but it knows where it's trying to take you and points everything back into that. I've actually got Cyberpunk 2077 in my hand right now. And I know this game's probably going to take about 15 to 30 hours to complete the main story, but can stretch out to like 80 to 100 if you do everything it has to do in it. And I trust CD uh, Projekt Red. I really do. But which way is this one going to go? I don't have a clue yet, and I'm really hoping that the majority of the content in this massive game that was announced while I was still in freaking high school in 2012 has the content and the experience to make the extra time I choose to spend with it worth it. Because remember, you don't have to play a game. You can stop playing whenever you want. How many of us have stacks of games that we started and never finished for whatever reason? And sometimes it's because life gets busy. And sometimes it's just because we moved on. Because the package was bigger than what it really lived up to. So if you are going to play a game, if you're going to make a game, make it to where the experience justifies what's going on. If you have 10 hours worth of content, pull a mile Morales and send it out that way. And if you truly have a 100-hour epic in your Square Enix, then you go for it. But just remember, vigor isn't always better. It's the intentionality and the professionalism that it is crafted with. So those are my two soapboxes for today, accessibility in gaming and the strenuous nature of open-world games. So that's what I have today for the Hall Gaming Podcast. Uh, Next week, we will be back with a more traditionally formatted episode, bringing you some game news. Uh, bringing you some uh, fun lists or pet peeves and things like that. I am going to have my friend uh, Jordan, a dude I went to college with, on very soon to talk about uh, just the nature of gamings that brings people together, uh, especially these days. I talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago with Callahan when he was on, but my friend Jordan is a youth pastor and he uses games in a completely different way. So I'm really excited to hear. His take on that. A couple final things before we part. The first is, if you are playing Cyberpunk 2077, I want you to be aware if you or anybody that you know is susceptible to seizures. And that seems like it's really out of place, but you might have seen this in the last few days. Game Informer, uh, their editor, one of their reviewers was playing the game and had a grand mal seizure during the game. And that is because this game has a section that is based off of a device that triggers freaking seizures in people. So this is a very tech-based game, and you already have instances where some of the characters kind of pop in in a glitchy way. And that can be sensitive to people who struggle with that. However, and I'm saying this as someone who has not played Cyberpunk, knows nothing about it for the most part yet, and is excited to play it spoiler-free. There are sections called brainwaves. And what part of this is, is you put on this device that flashes a ton of lights rapidly. And it's like trying to trigger up memories or something like that in the context of the game. But it's based off of a real device that is intended to induce seizures in people. And for some reason, C- CD Project Red put that in the game. And guess what? It induces seizures in people. So please, 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 please be aware of this. There's not at the time of recording this episode an explicit warning about this when you boot up the game or when you go into that section. It just happens. And people have had seizures because of it. And all that's on there is the traditional warning that pops up saying playing games may induce seizures in some people. Please consult a doctor, which no one ever does because... Why would you consult a doctor before you play Mario? You you know what I mean? So please be aware of this. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I have friends and family who do struggle with having seizures. And so please be aware of this. Uh, Finally, uh, make sure that you have followed and subscribed to the Hall Gaming Podcast. And also that you follow me on Twitch if you want more gaming throughout the week. Uh, If you go to twitch.tv slash Zenik68, that's Z or Z for all of our Canadians, E-N-I-K-6-8. You'll find me on there. I have been playing through uh, Final Fantasy Seven Remake. I've got some other stuff coming down the pipeline very soon. Most likely going to play through Last of Us Part Two or some Watch Dogs Legion. I just got a few new games today that I'm excited for. Kingdom Hearts is setting off to the side here as well. Love that series. And I know we're going to get to some Zelda sooner or later, even though I trashed Majora's Mask the last time we had the podcast. So all of that to say, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for allowing me to go on a bit more of an unstructured rant than normal, because I think that one of these, accessibility, is a huge issue we need to talk about. And that open world gaming and how that is produced isn't something really important that we need to talk about. But it's a pet peeve that would take up far more time than a normal pet peeve slot. So thank you so much. Have a great day. I will see you next week with another full episode. And if you're like me, school is letting out. So I am going to spend the rest of December spending time with my wife, playing with my dog, and playing some awesome freaking video games and getting caught up on all the stuff I didn't have time to do. Thank you all. Have a great day. See you next week.